Welcome to A State of Mind, a podcast where ancient wisdom meets our crazy modern world. This is Julian Royce. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of A State of Mind. Wanted to share a few words with everyone before we jump into today's episode. So just want to invite everyone to take a breath, take a moment, and feel whatever it is you feel right now, and let your breath bring you more into the present moment, whatever that moment holds for you. So the breath can become a bridge between what's happening right now and your ability to be fully present for it. And if we stay with this for just a few moments, even if we're in a difficult moment, even if we're feeling something difficult or irritating, or we're feeling sleepy, there is a sense of power there because we're no longer being driven by the contents of our experience. We take a step back and fully feel it, and then you can make a choice about what to do from this place of greater awareness. I think for me, a big part of mindfulness practice and meditation practice, how it connects with my life is when I can do that throughout the day and when I can make choices that aren't just a continuation of the past. Maybe in the past you had a sense of yourself as being a certain person. It doesn't mean you have to continue to be that sort of person right now. You know, the time to wake up is always right now. So I just wanted to share that. And um, for better or worse, the lockdown restrictions across the United States are lifting. I think across a lot of the world right now. So I hope that we are returning to some sort of normalcy. And I hope that we can make positive changes in our society. I think that part of the what this conversation is about, I'm going to get to in a minute, is about this time of quarantine is a time to reevaluate the way we do things. And we can make new choices moving forward. So today's conversation, I'm speaking with my friend Duncan Horst. And he has recently retired, is that the right word? Or at least stepped aside from a career in the world of New York finance. Um, so he was living in New York City. I think he just recently went back there, um, worked on Wall Street and in that world for a while. And he has a lot of interesting things to share about this world of finance. And just about our economic system, globalization in general. Um, I should let you know this was recorded April 18th. So it took me a while to get it out to y'all. Apologies for that. Uh, and Duncan is, he's in Jersey City when we're recording this. And he kind of describes the eeriness of the whole city being so quiet during the quarantine. Probably the strictest quarantine in the United States. Um, he had just gotten back from a month-long yoga training in Guatemala. And he has been helping to facilitate this event called the Creative Cauldron. Um, it's an event, kind of party in New York City that brings together a lot of creative people. And Duncan has a real passion for bringing out or manifesting the creativity in all of us. 
and we get to hear some freestyles from him. He loves to just jump into flow and rhyme. Um, and I really enjoy how he weaves spontaneous rhyme with messages that are both silly and at times profound. You know, and I think part of why we all love hip hop, why we love rhyme so much, is because that when someone is freestyling or rapping, when they're in that state, they're in a kind of flow state. And it feels good. It feels good to hear someone in the state of flow. There's something about rhyming that I think helps our brains relax and maybe make new connections. Just something kind of magical about it. So I'm gonna play for y'all a clip of D Horse laying it down. So enjoy this minute or so long clip, and then we'll get into our conversation. You are the canvas. You are the paint. You are what you want to create and everything that you ain't ready for yet. Open net. Get ready. Go and get set because you are the set and the stage. You understand. You are the birth of the age. You're all of the stories you write. You are the day. You are the night. And so everything that we create, everything we open wide, is just a deep reflection of the truth we hold inside. You're a diamond shining white within a shooting star. Let it flow from galactic oceans. If you want to understand the magic potions, you gotta let it rip. You gotta pop yeah. a cork. You gotta let it flame. You gotta be the stork giving birth to a whole new reality. Open wide, this is your true fatality. Killing everything that you're not. Open wide, let a spark. Open wide to what you forgot. Remember, that's rebirth. Remember mm -hmm. of a new earth, of something that you have within your heart, not a stayed cold plastic shard. So I hope you all enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it might shake. In fact, I hope it does shake some of your assumptions or preconceptions about Wall Street and the world of finance. Um, gives you, gave me at least a new perspective on some things. And I think our global capitalist economic system deeply deserves to be criticized and to be changed. And at the same time, it's not necessarily the case that everyone involved in it is a psychopath, you know, intent on hoarding as much wealth for themselves as possible at the expense of everyone else. No, um, I think what we need to do is look at and start to change the system of incentives that drive this behavior and are leading us to ecological disaster. And that's something that I get into with Duncan um, a good bit. And he has some, again, interesting insights on that and really ends on a positive note. So. Without further ado, I bring you Duncan Horst. I'm here today with Duncan Hurst. Horst. Duncan, thanks for being on the podcast. <laughs> it's my pleasure, Julian. Yeah, and you're speaking to me from Jersey City? Is that what you said? Jersey City, yep, right across the Hudson River. The whole area is pretty quarantined down. Um, yeah. Face masks mandatory to go outside. Um, the city is eerily quiet. It's kind of wow. beautiful. 
Um, but I'm in, I'm in a pretty gorgeous, um, artist warehouse loft apartment with just me and my girlfriend. We've got, um, plants everywhere. Uh, Yeah. She's, she's cooking up a storm. I am providing only the best criticism. So (laughs) you've been growing out your beard. I can see been growing out my beard. Yeah. So I, I left a finance job uh, that I'd held for about six years, uh, January 6th uh, for a number of reasons. Um, I was just running down on energy. I think my kidney channels were a little bit blocked uh, mm. from what I can tell. Like my body needed a revamp. Um, even though I love aspects of the work, um, number one, it didn't feel fully aligned. And number two, I felt that the markets were hugely overvalued. And so I'd likely be spending another year mm. to lose money or to minimize losses rather than maximize gains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's always more fun to, to gain than to lose. So um, I just didn't think I had the stamina for it. So you had some yeah. sense in January that, um, that this might be a year like that. And Absolutely. That, and that you kind of pulled out. Yeah. It's interesting I, that you were already kind of, so you already were taking this break and then coronavirus really hit like, at least in America, about a month, month and a half later. Yeah. I, um, so I, I left, I, I did my, my current profession, if you want to call it that, it's a good idea to call it that, uh, is a bit of an impresario. So a, mm. um, like a theater kind of ringmaster. I do, um, I do events called the Creative Cauldron. So the Creative Cauldron is a party that I co-host with um, a variety of different performers in New York City. I Mm. produce it. I am the MC, and I improvise introductions, uh, spoken word poetry, and freestyle to connect all the different uh, performers together. So the the idea, you know, New York City is called the, the Great Melting Pot but a lot of the ingredients don't actually melt together unless you really heat them and really introduce mm. them to each other. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in New York city, maybe similar to Boulder, Colorado, wh- wherever, um, most connections happen in parties. Mm. You go to an event, right. that's where you let everything go. You open up, you get the intimacy. Yeah. There's and some so, heat. I like the heat metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. That, that alchemical metaphor is right there. Uh, now, it is determined by how safe people feel, how the whole container is held, and the ingredients that come together. So mm. as far as the, the performers, like I'm friends with some world-class Indian classical musicians, some excellent freestylers, uh, some poets, um, jazz musicians, mm. um, performance artists, and they become friends with me because I've honed craft in freestyle rap and improvisation. Mm. Right. And that was one of the things that I did while I was in finance to feel like myself, to feel like I was growing, to stay connected to universal energy and find a conduit for its expression uh, while in New York City. So while in Colorado, you can go out into nature, uh, a higher percentage of people in Boulder are in practice. So you can just tap into the field and, and grow that way. In New York City, it's just people living off of people, living off of people, living off mm. of people. So, the so way tap- dense with people. Yeah, yeah. So the way to tap into those fields <clears throat> is through people, through people. So you're, you're playing off of people, improvising, freestyle rap. There's also um, 
like a larger Burning Man kind of scene. So like you can go a lot of different ways with it. You can go mm -hmm. finance, you know, living off of the, the life energy of the planet, of people figuring out how to move that in ways that make more energy there at the end of the day. You can go the, um, the arts because everyone is already concentrated there. So everyone's mm -hmm. trying to tap into that universal microphone. Um, there's there's a, every flavor of hedonism if that's the route that you want to go mm. because you're not really tapping into life energy in the form of like nature you're you're tapping into other people and then you, you it, it's just like there is, there are innumerable directions that you can go and it's up to everybody who comes into that field to understand how do you want to purpose your energy Mm. How do you want to array yourself? Like there's neither a headwind nor a tailwind. It's, it's very much a Minecraft reality. Yeah. Well, so what would you, adventure? what would you say your kind of, let's see, motivation, what kind of turns you on? Cause you're kind of helping to create events where people are expressing themselves, right? I mean, that's kind of how I see it from what you've yeah. shared with me about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I want to help alchemize culture. Like mm. I, I want to help bring radically different artistic visions together um, in a field where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Mm. So like freestyling with a sitar, like what, what does it taste like to bring really masala wrapping um, with with like excellent practitioners from both fields like and then after you've had like a couple of hours of amazing original programming um open open the mic for 15 minutes for people who come to share their poetry right That's but when beautiful. they share their poetry have it um <clears throat> accompanied by a world-class improvisatory pianist so oh, while they're they while they're doing it Right. Whatever they share is going to sound amazing. It's going to feel amazing. And mm. their feeling of being truly seen will actually add a novel ingredient to the event itself. The joy for somebody sharing and being received deeply mm. and for feeling and sounding much better than they thought actually gives a different ingredient than these world-class performers who, you know, this is just another Saturday night. Right. You know? This is a gig for them. But for somebody else, it might be, oh, my God, this is an initiation mm. into uh, sharing myself, into developing these kind of skills, into uh, a new way of being. Right. And so I've, I've heard it said that the ideal life is one-third learning from people who are more cultivated than you, one-third interacting with colleagues, with people on your level, mm. and one-third teaching other people who you know you've cultivated something and have something to offer and that's like that that's the positive version of like this human centipede it's like the, an energetic <laughs> filtering mechanism that right. allows you to maximize growth like you can so, all learn from each other feed off each other how do you find the um like this balance with like i love improv because there's the live element there's something new that's being birthed in that moment but and then yeah. there's the kind of risk of it you know, totally going off rails, right? Because you haven't rehearsed it as much. Like, how do you play with, with that balance? Like with the sitar player, like would you meet up and like run through stuff together or is it like a real total, like in the moment, let's just see what, whatever happens. I'm learning um, 
and you learn through doing. So I've been doing this for about a year. Uh, at first, it was really unscripted, and I'd be just the major domo doing it by feel. Oh, it feels like an amazing time for you to play. Mm. So you're on in 10 minutes. Go. Uh, you can imagine that that didn't play super well uh, with some of the more seasoned performers. <clears throat> so I've learned ways to combine structure with flow, um, to leave space, you know, like an hour, hour and a half throughout the event for an open jam. So for everybody who brought an instrument, you know, they'll have their own sets, um, which seasoned performers really want because they want to showcase themselves on their own terms. So like you have a set and then you have just like open space where you can come in. And a couple of people who have come uh, for the open space have graduated to feature performers there as well, where it's just like, oh, you're amazing. And the effect mm -hmm. you have on the crowd is incredible. Let's have you share in a more formalized way where they get like a 15 minute set um, all the performers are paid. There's something sacred to paying mm. artists, especially artists who have never been paid for their work, but are of uh, a paid quality. Mm. Even if it's going to be a part-time gig for them, there is something spiritual in being an artist who is given energy for their art. It makes a difference. So I yeah. love to be a person who's doing that. <clears throat> and by supporting other artists in the community, other people have been really willing to support me and to support the events. So it's, you know, it, it becomes a night event where it's like 8 p.m. to 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I provide food. I provide, you know, open champagne, open bar. And it's like 30 or $40 a person. Mm. And then like six hours of entertainment and acts and self-development work and sound healing and all of that. So like, Mm. That might not be a small ticket for the Denver area, but for New York, that's just like you're getting three or four times as much of what you would expect for that. Mm. I could probably charge more, but I don't need the money right now. And I love people feeling like they have gotten far, far, far more than their expectations. There's like an mm. overflowing kind of cornucopia feel when people's expectations are raised, minds are blown. And, you know, I've, I've seen relationships come out of this. I've seen creative collaborations and like um, official Beautiful. like paid gigs come out of these things too. So yeah, there's something like, about the formula that works. It's like this dance between order and chaos, you know, structure and, and freedom. If it's, if it's too structured, you don't allow anything new to be created. <clears throat> You're just building the existing structure. And if it's too chaotic, um, there's not the support for anything to really stick or to build. Mm. So it really is that, that Shiva Shakti, that, that order chaos, the, there's a Tao to it that is a very high teaching. Um, and as the ringmaster, I'm the one interacting with this entity that I have brought into being, which is the <laughs> cauldron itself. So it's like, it's an entity which is teaching me how to operate in the world. Yeah. So it was really the satisfaction from interacting with that entity that gave me the confidence to be able to leave finance, um, mm. which perhaps I could have stuck with it for a few more years, but I was really feeling a depression and a depletion of energy there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It was great for four years, but I could have left after four and been really satisfied. 
and then made a transition. Well, that's that's one of the things that I kind of admire about you, kind of seeing you from afar, you know, staying in touch is like going into something deeply and getting what you want out of it and then taking that leap to move on because what happens in life is you get into something and then it's hard to leave. You know, there's a kind of comfort, you're, you're, you're get, you kind of create a home, you know, a certain structure for yourself. And then sometimes people stay in something past its expiration date, so to speak, or, yeah, the, the past expiration, I think, mostly happens due to externalities. You, know, you build up a lifestyle or you get married and you have a kid you, you need to support. And um, you, for some people, it is like a groove that you get into and you keep like digging it deeper and deeper and deeper. I think for a lot of people, it's just like you... <laughs> it's, the, the sexual angle is, is a fascinating one right? Because it's, it's the strongest dopamine serotonin bonds in nature. Mm. And it's given to us like that so that we can procreate, so that we can take that massive responsibility of bringing new life into the world. And every mother nature gives every trick of the trade, every tool in order to galvanize that sensation and sensitivity into reproduction, which then requires a kind of you could call it a maturity of lifestyle or it requires like much more energy spent on hunter gathering and, Mm. and raising offspring. And then like that, that field can jump you into a different course where you have less mobility to actually pursue the vision, to pursue the dream. So to an extent, it's a question of your, your degree of sublimation of energy, right? Like, if you're not sublimating your sexual energy, it'll tend to come out through sexuality itself. You probably won't be able to control your orgasms. So it'll probably come out. Um, you'll, you'll have a desire to ejaculate to convert that into new life. You may not have thought of through completely and you just like follow it mm. as it happens and then justify it later. Now, it's usually a good decision because a lot of people also live vicariously through children there's this thing that happens in your thirties that if you're not pursuing your dreams, your sense of like vitality and open connection to life can diminish too. Mm. So it's like people in their thirties who aren't on that track, who are working tend to live vicariously through children. And that actually gives them a great second wind. Like it keeps the heart open. It keeps the energy channels flowing. Well, it's a very meaningful thing. You know, it's bringing a child into the world, caring for them, seeing them come up, um, I think there's a lot of meaning that comes from that, a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but you're, yeah, I want to get more into the sexual metaphor. Can you just say the name of your events that you're doing again? Does it have a name or a group name? Sure. Um, plug, plug away, the Creative Cauldron. Creative Cauldron, that's what it's called. Okay. Yeah. And so um, you're, you're talking about, because I've heard you give an amazing talk on alchemy before, and this, this metaphor, or I don't even know if it's really, if metaphor is even the right word, but this understanding of heating things up so that transformation can happen. When you talk about sexual energy, it's like rather than just following your impulse, following your habit, there's a kind of playing with the energy, staying with it, staying with the intensity, not giving into the release, right? And then something magical can happen out of that. Is that? Absolutely. Yeah. So if, if you have the container of your awareness and you have this, gorgeous fire of intensity Mm. that heats up you can achieve a change of state whether it's your emotions your internal energies um 
the, the capacity for perception itself can shift in a way that you now have access to entirely new streams, more intense streams like deep textured energetic flows. Mm. And if you have a sufficient quality and quantity of that, you can actually make meaningful changes on other people, upgrades to your art. When the light um, goes down, you, you will can, survive. you know, whole, whole different varieties of phenomena happen around you if you have this quality of energy built up within you. Um, now, I've, I've, I've had this for a number of years where mm. I've had a heightened perception of energy, uh, greater openness to flows. And while I was in finance, there was a lot of energy coming into me mm. uh, because money is a form of energy. And I was just like drinking from the fire hose. Um, and you have to play with it. You have to get it out somehow, either through yoga and meditation, like continually mm. opening your apertures to let more and more flow through you freely. Or um, in my case, I got it out by literally spitting it out of my mouth. Like <laughs> I, 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 the fire hose was coming in and this was the open gasket. So Beautiful. poetry and freestyle came to me and I used that energy to develop those channels, those mind body channels. Everybody who taps into this energy will develop it in one way or another, whether that's to feed um, their talents and their growth or or addictions or whatever it is, you're going to use that intensity to strengthen neurobiological channels, which increase your capacity to do whatever you put your mind to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's interesting with the, the connection with money. And that's part of why I reached out to you to be on the podcast too, is because, you know, I don't at all consider myself an expert in terms of economics or money. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's something I've been thinking about and learning more about. And with coronavirus, we, you know, we see the stock market and the different markets reacting and it's, yeah. it's giving me pause to really renew questioning, like asking big questions about our society. Can we, come out of this and create a more sustainable society, a society that values human connection, that values love and life more than this abstraction of dollar and competition. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not someone who's um, ever like really hated on capitalism. Like a lot of people I know, um, especially around here who do. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it's, it's just become very apparent to me the downsides of capitalism on our psychology, on our well-being, this, this like constant struggle for survival that so many people go through life with, this constant never having enough, um, having to push yourself so hard rather than trusting in the abundance of the world. You know, can you, how do you, like, I don't know if you want to riff on that. <laughs> I could definitely riff on that. Um, I think top down, the most important aspect is you know for for the near to medium future is political change Mm. um and i frankly doubt that it could come from a biden administration me too no it's been very depressing for me to see him get the nomination and a lot of people that i talk with are like really bummed about this yeah i mean you're you're not necessarily going to get more of the same from a neoliberal corporate capital uh institution 
you look at the first joint stock companies, you're talking about like the East India Company. Right. I mean, the entire business model of the East India Company was get some mercenaries, bring them overseas and conquer uh, indigenous people and then export all their stuff back to Europe. Like and that, that that was the model for a corporation, right? The big, the birth of this corporation. That's where it started, yeah. right? Yeah, it was like a risky venture. So you get a bunch of people together to support it so that no one person is bearing all of the risk. Um, you, you do that to pay for the ships as well. So we're mm. talking Dutch East India Company. Holland does not have any natural resources to speak of. Mm. The only thing that they had mm was the rule of law, a stable society, and access to different waterways and, and trade. So you're, you're looking at a throughput of, of energy and an unusual openness and trust. Mm. They, they had trust. Now, that trust is not necessarily universal. I right. mean, it, it's a bunch of like Dutch people. You they know? trust with each other, not with the world or not with humanity at large. <laughs> Trust within their tribe, their yeah. tribe of like Protestant, uh, black wearing. Oh, <laughs> you look at the crazy business suit culture. Like everybody yeah. is just looking so drab. Yeah, and what is austere. up with that? It comes from the Dutch uh, Dutch clothing fat. Like I've <laughs> kind of <laughs> tracked this that. back to if you look at like Rembrandt's paintings of all of these like patrician looking like weird they've got like a black hat and like black clothes and maybe like one white frill yeah um you look at that and that's basically the business suit and tie scaled back several hundred years oh that's fascinating yeah protestant tradition of course is that um god's favor you know if you're prosperous that's a sign of god's favor like go and expand the kingdom of heaven by uh building it out on earth you're not supposed to necessarily reach it by being mm. super pious, just like do the work of God on the physical plane. Um, mm. But but I digress. Like if, if we're looking back, yeah, it was a pretty homogenous culture and society that had high levels of trust. Um, they they had a willingness to like to trade, and they were prosperous enough to have the right allies, and you know hired hired an army and went off to these places that didn't have <laughs> developed. Um, currency and and monopolized. They they were big in right. technology too. So it's like the right. internet of today was shipbuilding in the 1600s. So like they, they well, were basically internet entrepreneurs, like the worldwide ocean. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, I want to make this practical to your question though, um, because now we're seeing internet companies dominate. We're not necessarily seeing any, like... Right. That word dominate, I think, is important. This tendency to dominate rather than create a system where we can all feel like we're all thriving. Yeah. And and that's... Legally, um, these companies are obligated to continue and increase their efforts to dominate. Mm. You know, they have a legal obligation to maximize return for their shareholders if they're a public company. Mm. That's, that's the law. So if they're not doing that, they can be sued by the shareholders uh, unless they are, and, and the shareholders can demand the resignation of uh, officers. Not so with many of the tech companies. Actually, the tech companies have most of their founders holding B shares, um, which are weighted shares that prevent a takeover 
by the mm. shareholders. So the shareholders can't even really remove. <laughs> is that uh, the case the with like Facebook, for example? Oh, absolutely. It's so he, I mean, Zuckerberg is the king. Like he's, no one's going to topple him. Nobody can. So yeah. just real quick, the, the internet thing has become, obviously it's, it's massive. It's impacted our lives massively. And we have these platforms, Google, Amazon, Facebook. And the way I see it is given the internet, given the ecosystem of the internet, sys, uh, platforms like that were bound to develop. But what's happened is they are now under the ownership of these specific people and companies rather than being a kind of public marketplace, for example, in the case of Amazon or a public social network in the case of Facebook. It's a privately held company that's manipulating us to try to sell ads, basically. And it's creating all kinds of terrible psychological effects. You know, as a therapist, I see this in people like we're becoming more isolated because I think when we're more isolated, it's easier to sell you stuff. It's easier to manipulate you. Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons why I was losing my taste uh, for investing because more and more stuff became tech, and mm. I could see the effects that it had on other people and society. The rich were getting far richer and thinking more about their private island or enclave in New Zealand um, than <laughs> on looking after the bulk of humanity. You know, there there were a lot of there were a lot of double standards uh, running throughout it. Um, if you, if you want to see something truly scary, the, uh, the founder of ByteDance and, and TikTok, that 15 second chat app, oh, yeah. uh, literally has given talks on how it's, you know, it's the fate of the elite to consume and monopolize the attention and the, mm. you know, basically the life energy of those who are not able to withhold their passions. Oh, wow. Well, that's fascinating, but it's kind of like the bad guy in a, movie you know <laughs> yeah it's it's fascinating that in chinese culture like you're able to come out and say this stuff and i think he was able to say it because he's just like look if if you're smart don't waste your time if you do then we're gonna take it he's being <laughs> like, honest well he's he's implying that um people who can't control their passions who can't control their impulses are going to be taken advantage of and there's something powerful to that like with right. saving, like one thing I've, I do know about economics is if you save money and invest it wisely, it will slowly grow over time so that in the long run, you'll be much better off. But the impulse, of course, is to spend more than you have in the moment. So Yeah. And that, that was what my boss said as well. You know, he's more of a monk and more of a yogi than probably 90% of the actual monks that I've known in my life. Just staying balanced between mm. excitement and excitability staying balanced and, and mm. moderate in your passions, but still willing to uh, play the game, still mm. willing to put things at risk, you know, still willing to interact with the world and pursue truth in the form of human desire. And, and that's what stocks mm. are. It's a gauge Beautiful. of human desire over time. Mm. You're, you're trying to understand human needs and human desires and, and weight them for their value over time. And that's the entire business. So it's a really fascinating job. Like as far as jobs go, it's one of the top. Um, It's, if you can look at it that without succumbing to the myriad distractions in the field um, and connect yourself either to somebody who has a massive pile of other people's energy in the form of money or figure out a way to network and interact you know, go to all the right clubs in New York and summer at the Hamptons and uh, <laughs> make friends with several erstwhile billionaires and 
get them to turn over a chunk of their assets for you to manage at uh, 1% and you know, 1% of the gross and 20% of profits, then you can do quite well for yourself. Um, <laughs> and that would be a financial uh, advisor, right? Is that what that would be called? Right, right. Well, the, the one in 20 would be a fund manager. Oh, and it takes a lot to, to go into that. But the basic is that you're, you're being paid to increase somebody's energy. You, you're, hmm. you're, you're, you're fluffing somebody's energy there. But I, I want to jump, like, this is a massive choose-your-own-adventure books. Have you ever, did you look at those <laughs> as a child? Yeah, yeah, I love those. And, like, I read them with, like, my left hand in five different decisions. Me too. Notes. Oh, yeah. I had all these little bookmarks. Yeah. and Yeah. I'd, I'd, like, try to kill my characters off so that I would be able to close <laughs> the decision notes. I'd be able to, like, get through everything without having to reread it so many times. Yeah. Um, anyway, like, I feel like this conversation is like that. Yeah. So, like, stepping back into the internet, stepping back into capitalism, um, I don't think that we can rightfully expect these companies to self-police. Mm. Well, that's an important right? point. Yeah. And I think, so if we can't expect them to self-police, the only thing that we could do is to enact some kind of responsible and meaningful and positive legislation um, yeah. governmentally. That makes so much sense. Right. Now, the the difficulty is that, like, politicians are pop stars now. So like, mm. who's the one with the greatest chance of doing it? AOC. Um, how is her economic knowledge? Maybe it's okay. Maybe it's, maybe it's not like we're, mm. we're not actually a hundred percent sure that she can govern the ship of state. Right. She's amazing at calling people out on their bullshit and tweeting. She's <laughs> right. really, really good at that. We're in the um, reality TV show age. I mean, it's just bizarre. And I mean, just we have this democratic system, but no one is really, it doesn't feel like anyone's voting for candidates based on their, their real knowledge and skills. And it's like what you're saying. It's like, what are their tweets? What are they like on TV? What are they like on the internet? I mean, we also just doubled the money supply with this $2 trillion bailout. Is that right? Stimulus. Did that double? Yeah. Wow. I mean, as far as cash on hand, yeah. Um, that's outrageous or it's amazing. I don't know. I don't even know how to think about that. You probably have a better perspective than I do. Well, every nation on earth is doing it. So it just makes mm. everybody a little bit poorer mm. um, because you're, you're diluting the, you know, you're, you're putting more money into circulation. Mm. Um, so if more money is into circulation, you would expect that the price for everything will go up. Inflation. Yeah, there's there's more money and there's there's less goods. But like, I don't know. I, I don't know if that subsidy is just like going to end up paying landlords for a couple of months. Yeah. Um, and then everything will go back to normal. I think that's what they're expecting. But it's like, the thought is that if the government can just do this, then why don't people ask them for more more handouts, more universal basic income. It's like the first taste of what universal basic income would be like, I think. Yeah. I, mean, I, I woke up the other day and I had $1,200 added in my bank account. And I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Was, pretty was amazing. This, uh, is this for everybody or? I think so. Anyone who paid, well, I paid taxes last year through my bank account direct deposit to the IRS. So then they can just send it right back because they already that's have cool. all, my, all my information. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Guatemala and when a lot of this went down. So, um, oh, that's right. So you you were in Guatemala when the the coronavirus really hit America, and you got stuck there for what two weeks? Yeah, a couple of weeks until I got an embassy flight back. That's wild. Um, but just jumping jumping back for half a second here. Yeah. Um, I think that it'll be the responsibility of us as citizens to bring a government into power that can actually rein in the excesses of corporations that can um, enact reforms to help us modernize and continue to move. I agree. And, a million percent. And it's also really tricky work. Yeah. Because you, you don't want to just incentivize all of these companies to leave the country and mm. um, set up shop somewhere else. The likelihood is not high that they would do so, though. You know, all the workers are already here. Um, I mean, my, my thought is that you can just bring the slider down on the trilateral commission, um, you know, cut defense spending by 40%, fund all of these programs several mm. times over. What is the um, Trilateral Commission? Uh, trilateral is the military-industrial mm, complex. Right. Military-industrial-political. Yeah. Um, and I agree with what you're saying. And like so many times I've had this conversation, it's like if we just took 1% of our defense spending and did this, we could do all these things. And I just feel like the military-industrial complex has us by the balls for decades. And they're not going to give up 1%. Eventually, <laughs> eventually they will, you know, cause it, it's just, we've had nukes. Wow. Shit. This is the difficulty, right? Like as long as bad actors like Putin are roaming around, as long as China is like upping mm. their defense spending, it's, it's hard to look at it, but China will have to spend a lot more to protect the environment soon enough. Anyway, like I mm. see long-term environmental destruction and degradation as China's biggest threat, you know, mm. that, that could actually, they've got, if you think we have debt problems, they have huge, huge debt problems. Like, Do China, they? yeah, Chinese GDP is crazily overinflated because they've been spending <clears throat> like, it's, it's eye popping sums, uh. like 35, 40% of the state budget is spent on like building highways, making <laughs> cities in the desert. Mm. Like they're, they're employing millions of people on these projects. Mm. And fortunately for China, enough people have been moving into these new cities from rural areas and, and create that, that all of these dream projects have worked out. But to what end? You know, they're, they're on these balance sheets. The Chinese state banks have been forced to give like 20-year loans to all of these projects or 30-year or whatever it is. And if they stop bringing in money, suddenly they have multi, multi-billion dollar liabilities on their balance sheet. So eventually the Chinese bank would have to print more money in order to fund these obligations or allow the banks to go under. If the banks go under, that has a credit crisis, which means new small businesses will have problems um, getting loans and expanding, which would be a crimp on the Chinese economy. 
the Chinese won't allow that to happen because their bargain with the Chinese people is we will take away your freedom, but in exchange for that, you will have prosperity if you work hard for it. And so the 6%, 7% GDP growth every year has been seen as the mandate for the Chinese Communist Party to continue with their, their fiat rule. Um, so they're, they're doing everything in their power, including probably fudging the figures yeah. in order to hit those targets right. to claim that they are, you know, the, the rightful kings of heaven, you know, sailing the ship of state in the right direction. Right. No, um, I'm, a, I'm a massive critic of the Chinese government. I think they're pretty terrible. A lot of people don't realize how much debt China is in because we always hear about how much debt we're in and that we owe that money to China. Um, so that's they, a good point you're making. Yeah, they're in they're in a lot more debt than we are, mm. and their their economy. Yeah, it's coming into into fruition, but we're we're still in a much healthier place, resource wise. Um, you could say human capital, although we've we've been under investing in our education resources. Their education system is pretty shallow. They don't really have that much creative capital yet. Mm. Uh, based on the way that they're raised, you know, it's, they have one test to get into college called the Gaokao. Uh, your college placement is a hundred percent based on your performance on that test. Mm. Um, and <laughs> kids are at school six days a week, often sleeping there and like boarding camps. It's like there are iron bars on the windows. <laughs> like I've, I've met really Chinese. God. Yeah. I've, I've met the son of a Chinese billionaire, um, who was like, the CEO of Chinese Boeing and he was just partying (laughs) Been through the whole ringer, never got to have a childhood. So he was just going out to clubs, smashing $300 bottles of like Chinese rice wine, (laughs) partying with his mistress. He would like show up and hang with us. I was an English teacher in China at the time. And he would like come to the, the dorm room where I was staying and just like do a gin watermelon, play flip cup, drive us in his like, Mercedes S class, like one of three in the province, um, painted like an Italian police car, complete with policia on the back. Uh-huh. And show us, it's like, yo, see this watch? Cost a million dollars. Like, <laughs> like it, it leads to, it can lead to a very shallow culture of people who have made it and a desperate culture of people who have not. Mm. It's, it's, but that's what happens when your entire culture is just like wiped from the face of the earth 50 years ago and you right. build it all from scratch. Well, there's a huge amount of trauma there. I mean, it's massive. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I mean, like, I think the, the fears of China are a little overblown. Mm. Um, I, I think that we can comfortably reduce our military budget or spend it much more effectively and efficiently and like give space contracts to SpaceX and instead of, but like <laughs> the weird thing with all of this is Boeing was super in danger of collapsing, you know, like these, oh, really? these, these companies that are strategic defense interests like Boeing could go belly up very, very easily. It's, so, probably- frust- it's so frustrating that these companies, the, the taxpayers give billions of dollars to every year are so fragile and we have to bail them out over and over again. And, all these banks we have to bail out, all these corporations we have to bail out. If they're so successful, if they're so smart, if these people are so smart and successful, why do they need to be bailed out every few years? Uh, bonus structures, Julian. <laughs> Primarily bonus structures. Um, most of the money during this huge run-up 
uh, from Trump's tax cuts went into share buybacks. Mm. So you want to explain is, that a little bit? Sure. Uh, <laughs> like they're buying back their own stock or something? Is that? Yes, they're buying back their own stock. Um, you can say uh, with with some truth that this maximizes shareholder uh, value and thus is legally obligated and thus is the only thing that they can possibly do. But it only does so in the short term. Um, share so Trump tax cuts. Uh, for businesses uh, and and cuts taxes on repatriating money from abroad. So like what, like Apple has one or $200 billion of cash on their balance sheet that they're just like storing in Ireland somewhere. <laughs> and they're doing that because if they bring it back to the U S they get a 40% tax on that. Mm-hmm. Then Trump slashes it to 15%, maybe 5% in some cases. Wow. So it all comes back to the U S all that money comes back. And then they use 100, 150 billion of that money, uh, not to pump back into the economy and expand jobs, but to actually buy back shares of their own stock. When they buy back, so... So they just give it to themselves, basically. uh, To an extent, not directly to themselves. Mm. But let's say you're you're, you're Apple, you're, um, you're worth $800 billion, and you spend $100 billion to buy back shares of your own stock and discontinue those shares. Uh, You buy back those shares and discontinue them, uh, you're boosting the value of all of the pre-existing shares of the stock um, that still exist after, you know, every share you buy, somebody has to sell. So Mm. you're enriching the people who sell those shares to you immediately by the amount of cash that the shares are worth. When they sell the shares back to the company, the company is like, these shares no longer exist. Mm. So like instead of eight, you know, let's say each share of Apple is $100 a share. Um, so instead of 800 million, no, it, it, yeah. It, it, instead of uh, 8 billion shares, there are now 7 billion shares of Apple. Um, and each person is going to see the share price jump probably by 12.5%. So if you've got $10 million of Apple stock, you probably have uh, $12.5 million now because the market will revalue it. They'll say, oh, Apple is a bargain. It should be worth more because it earns this much. Mm. It's likely to earn this much money. And when you see the earnings per share, like if if it's stable, you compare that rate to the rate of treasury bonds, the risk-free rate, um, used to be about 5%, is currently pretty low, about 2%, and they're going to try and cut it lower uh, for these crises. Mm. Um, And then you get a risk premium above that rate. So that risk premium is how risky it is to buy shares of a corporation that could fall out of style. Maybe people stop using Apple products, like maybe um, sales drop the next year. So what's the kind of rate of return that you want to get on this? If treasury bonds are giving 3%, maybe you want to get 6 or 7% from, um, in sales growth from a corporation in order to deal with it. Maybe, maybe you need that kind of implicit dividend stream to make up for the fact that it's riskier than investing mm. in the U.S. government. Um, and so if you look at that, that's where stocks tend to be priced. You're mm. looking at the earnings that they bring in 
Um, and those earnings are divided by the total market price of the security. So it's like if Apple is valued at $800 billion, um, they made like $100 billion in profits. Um, you divide that out, uh, that's a 12.5% return. That's huge. That's like eight times earnings. Uh, you would actually expect it to trade higher than that because that's, that's like a massive return over what you could get for treasury bonds, which is like 3%. Right. So like, so there's more risk than there's more return. Yeah, but you're also, with that kind of a multiple in these kind of markets, you're expecting that the business will shrink in future years. Oh, interesting. Like that's, that's the, all of these numbers, like price to earnings ratios and, you know, the, the net value of a stock, it all tells a story. Like the whole arc of it tells a story mm. of, of what the market is doing. Uh, but if, if it is, um, if, if it's a low price, then the market is saying this business is going to shrink. It will be less relevant in the future. If it's a high price, um, usually there's very, very high growth at the back of it that is pushing it larger and larger and larger in right. future years. Like internet businesses are growing 20, 30% per year. Like Amazon is now at its highest ever uh, valuation. You know, Bezos is mm. worth 140 billion again. Jeez. Like it's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, but the, the jam with all of this is. You're, you're pricing these businesses on growth and on an idea of future prosperity. And one of the reasons that I left was I, it was hard for me to believe that version of the future. Right. Okay. That's fascinating to me. I mean, I appreciate you getting into the weeds with me a little bit here because I don't get to often talk in this kind of detail about some of this stuff. And, but this whole system is based on perpetual growth. And that's something that a lot of people question for good reason. It's, and like the impact we'll have on our environment is, is one of the number one reasons to question that. Absolutely. And we are, we are at the tail end of the nation state system, I think for this mm. precise reason. Like you actually do need to have global controls when you're dealing with a global interconnected system, uh, the environment. Mm. Like un unless you can have some kind of legislation that is actually binding on all the actors involved, uh, a mandatory Kyoto Protocol, a mandatory um, prohibition on fishing in international waters, on, right. on deforestation, on all of these. Like, people who are skeptical of like a one-world government and, and speaking of the, the sovereignty of individual rights, no. You actually don't have them when compared to the welfare of a larger system. You want, you want to talk about like a new world order? Mm. No, it's it's not relevant any longer because we are a part of nature. If we destroy nature, we destroy ourselves. So there mm. has to actually be some way to enforce these norms in order to do business, like an environmental Geneva Convention. Of mm. course, it's just about every president has disobeyed the laws of the Geneva Convention. So it does tend to be a uh, golden rule. Those mm. with the gold make the rules power grows out of the barrel of a gun but if you hire the mercenaries you're you know this is dark yeah it's dark, dark stuff, stuff. <laughs> um, well can we have a, a world system that 
protects the environment, that protects individual rights, and that doesn't go down all these dark conspiracy routes of the new world order and some fascist takeover, because that's what people are afraid of. But by being so afraid of it, we're kind of perpetuating this system that's not working either. You know, what, what, Oh, I, yeah, I, I was I was joking about New World Order stuff, uh, just like I am with Illuminati. Uh, <laughs> so you don't believe in the Illuminati? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> um, I don't because most most people are pretty stupid and most like people in power are not very spiritually evolved or mm. advanced because power has a tendency of eroding those capacities. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. There's been some interesting, really fascinating psychological studies about how gaining more power, you kind of lose empathy and you lose some intelligence, like kind of on average, like they've done studies showing. You kind of have to, because suddenly everyone's asking a favor of you. You know, people, people want something from you mm. and you have to deliberately deaden yourself so that you don't bleed out to everybody who with a, with an outstretched hand, not just bleed out your money, but bleed out your time and attention. Mm. So you wall, you wall yourself up. You, you create a gated community within yourself where mm. your time, your attention, your energy is at a premium and you charge a premium for that and operate within that structure. And the most successful people operate with integrity within their gated community of self. But you're also, within that gated community, it's very, very hard to avoid that kind of self-isolation. Right. So other people... And, and thus from looking out for group welfare. Because they're, you know, at that point, you're very opposed to handouts. And the idea of like an undeserving person getting a chunk of your energy, your time, your attention. And that, that walling um, at the highest levels of society replicates itself all the way down. You know, there's, there's a trickle-down isolation that, that comes with it. Yeah, it's a fascinating uh, thing where the more money you get, the more isolated you tend to become, like exactly like you're describing, because you can afford the mansion, but then you have all this space between you and your neighbor. And it kind of feeds a kind of paranoia, I think. But then Wait, these are the people with all the power. Not all the power. I mean, or a lot of the power. <laughs> celebrity, celebrity culture is different. Mm. Uh, you know, your power comes from the people that you connect to and the demographics that you, you please or entertain or or right. like Oprah. <laughs> um, That's a good point. Yeah. Many, many, many celebrities are weighted based on their, their impact and their reach. Um, you know, business owners have to work with their entire business too. Like CEOs are really high caliber people in most cases, especially founder CEOs. Mm. Um, and even like fund runners, like, generally the wolf of wall street type happens once in a few generations. Like most mm. Goldman Sachs people are really straight and narrow. Like I saw mm. when I was at NYU, I saw like Goldman Sachs, um, mid-level directors. I think they were directors anyway, uh, who were like part of a Christian outreach group and who were just like really involved, really kind, sweet people. And, though there are some assholes who are drawn to that level of power and I've, I've definitely seen them. Um, I'm, I don't know enough to know that they're the majority. That's good to I, hear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think these are just tendencies of human nature that we haven't been able to directly address because it's our tendency not to think systemically, mm. but to 
think individually. Mm. It's just this like this one bad person's problem rather than like, oh, this is a tendency that I share as well. I just don't have the resources and access to opportunities to actually play this out on a larger scale. And people with access to greater temptations um, have the opportunity to fall hard, to fall big, and to be seen as, as these monsters. But it's not by isolating the wolves or the predators or whatever that the larger systemic change happens. I think it can work. Like people, it, it, it's important that people be made examples of mm. in this world, but it ultimately by othering and monstering these tendencies, um, you know, this is the 1%. These are, these are like the bad people or, you know, the, like mm. the, what, whatever, whatever perspective from the mo- minority to the oppressive majority, um, we need to be able to see each other and open up to each other and go beyond that in order to create the fabric of a society that stretches somehow uh, beyond racial, geopolitical, ethnic, mm. um, sociological, economic, uh, gender, all, all of that, all of these bounds in order to create a durable framework um, going forward to protect the environment, to ensure individual rights uh, in a way that's not usurious and and doesn't incentivize people to just sit around and do nothing, you know? Mm, Right. Yeah. Well, I just, I kind of feel like, yeah, it is a lot. I appreciate that perspective because it is easy to demonize the 1% or the people Goldman Sachs. And um, I just wonder how, I mean, to me, coronavirus and this crisis we're in is kind of like a trial run for climate change. And that's how I've been thinking about it. I mean, we know that scientists were warning us about the danger of a pandemic coming from China 10 years ago, five years ago. Yeah. They kept, you know, they kept, I read articles about this years ago. It's like, it's probably going to come from China. It's, you know, this is what, how it'll spread through the airplane travel. And, and, uh, in the same hey, way, Bill we're getting Gates more is smart. <laughs> yeah, he is <laughs> smart. You got to give him credit. <laughs> you got to yeah. give him credit. But the same thing is true of climate change. We're being warned about it. It's, it's on the horizon. We're not doing anything. By the time it really starts affecting us, it'll kind of be too late. So I, I, hope, that, I hope that this is a wake-up call. That's what I hope. <laughs> Politics would have to shift for that to be the case. I... Um, I think you would have to have a very significant political change in order for that to be true. Um, China might be closer to it than we are. You know, they're mandating all electric cars on their roads. They're, mm. um, but they're still hugely polluting because they have all the factories there. Mm. You know, that's that's the source of their pollution. Um, we're in a much better space than they are. We just have cars and and cow farts. <laughs> well, they have a stronger centralized authority, obviously, which has some advantages in dealing with a big problem like that. It hugely I mean, does because we're a dysfunctional AF. Yeah, we're like a dysfunctional family that's squabbling amongst themselves. And Mommy and daddy are fighting. <laughs> well, when you would um, enter, like when you're in the finance world in New York and everything, are people, is, what is your sense of how people like Goldman Sachs, for example, might think about climate change? Are they taking that seriously? Or are they kind of? Only individually. Individually, yeah. Only individually. 
the responsibility of all the firms is to maximize profit. Um, <laughs> if people make ethical decisions, it's either laid down in the guidelines of their fund. They're an ethical fund mm. or, um, or it's not the way my boss gets around it. I mean, he'll invest in anything. Um, but he ended up tithing to environmental charities that he handpicked for their effectiveness. So uh-huh. that was his, his carbon offset was a direct contribution to the environment. Does everybody do that? No. Do a fraction of people do that? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fraction of a fraction. Um, and, and he definitely pulled more than his weight, I think, uh, in good. impact. Yeah. But it, it, is, it is good, but very few people do it. You know, mm. and right. and you you have to get to that level to actually have a an effect and a meaningful impact. So you know he's at this level after doing this for thirty years. Who has that level of self sacrifice or determination? You know, obviously you're incented to do it. It's a rare person, right? Yeah, yeah. We got to look at the incentives, people in general, how we're incentivized. You know, if you ask anyone individually, they don't want to hurt the environment. But if all the incentives are pointing in the opposite direction, then you can't really blame them. Can't blame us, I should say. Exactly. And, and we've, been, we've been pretty rough offenders as America. You know, we haven't signed any of the ratifications. We've moved out of the Paris Accord. We never signed the Kyoto Protocol. Right. Uh, we're, we're not the city on the hill here. Right. We're really not. We, we, um, we've done a lot of the most promising research and, and contributed a lot of science towards that. That's laudable. Um, but we've definitely relinquished global leadership on the issue and it'll bite us in the ass if we don't make real strides to, to tackle it. I, dude, it hurts. (laughs) It's actively painful. Like it hurts my heart to think about it and to say it. I'm sure that I hold some degree of crisis on this. And I, you know, I've, I've contributed my share of thousands to ecological charities and outreach efforts and awareness efforts. You know, I've, I've given Mm. some people that, you know, and we know, and, and, um, yeah, it does hurt. It's heavy. It's um, painful to think about. And it's painful to think about how it just feels so Learn to farm. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal, right? Um, build connections. Stay connected to the soil yourself. Stay connected to, to different groups. It, it might not be relevant for another 30 or 40 years, but mm. eventually it'll be relevant. Unless something big can happen politically, ideally within the next decade. But we have a recursive system, you know? Mm. Chinese are brutal motherfuckers, but they... Please bleep that out in post. Uh, but they also have a command and control system that can actually approach these systemic difficulties. Um, yeah. You know, and, and maybe we can as well, but there needs to be a whole different level of awareness to these shifts than there currently is. And it's, it's just very hard to approach and address. Like it hurts. It, it really hurts my heart to, mm. but I, I appreciate the resonance of you that, that you can hold it and I can feel it, you know, and I, I just, yeah, I can I feel it talking to you right now. Yeah. Um, it's relevant to grieve. It is relevant to grieve. 
Yeah. It just it feels like yeah, it is relevant to groove. And I mean that's um good to appreciate everything that we can and do what we can to help things and um kind of trust in the bigger picture of life. You know, I think for sure like new species will evolve, but we are in this massive kind of extinction period right now. And mm-hmm. it's just um it's tough to think about. Well, it's it's a world run by joint stock companies. Mm. The entire world is run by joint stock companies and mafias. Mafias? Yeah, Russia and China are run by mafias. Mm. Trump wants to get his little mafia up and running. He's like a cross between a mafia and a joint stock company. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. the, rest, the rest is just run by corporations. The world is a college of corporations, as, um, as network famously <laughs> posited. You know, but, but the... The jam with all of this is that what what do these companies do if they're there to maintain shareholder interests? They are they are run to grow profit, extract the maximum that they are legally able to do, and laws are just suggestions. They're mere suggestions because mm. it's more profitable to break a law, spend money on lobbying and pay a mere $50 million fine to get a $5 billion monopoly over a mm. certain resource. Or, mm. th- then they'll do that. That's, These laws yeah. are suggestions. They're ruthless. Not ruthless. Just it's, it's not, it's not ruthless. It's just game theory. <laughs> it's, it's blood. Like it, there's, there's a, an actuarial mindset. Right. And that's well, the thing. If we try to go down a more kind of have a positive vision for the future, like can we create a system that incentivizes social good, environmental good? Um, you know, could that be tied into the success of these companies? Like could we use this capitalist model, which has been so successful and kind of redirect that energy in a way that takes into account air quality, water quality, life, you know, natural areas. Yes. I think it's I think it's entirely possible. I think it does require a radically different understanding of public and private bounds and would require some political rejiggering. Yeah. Um, you know, we, the, the in order to avoid the tragedy of the commons where our shared resources and quality of life is slowly diminished in a kind of boil the frog uh, de-evolution. Mm. In order to avoid that, um, the in, the elements of the state would have to be in charge of the quality of air, the quality of water, the quality of soil, all of the above. Mm. And and you know the reason that I don't believe in conspiracy theories is that most bureaucrats are really dumb. <laughs> that's a refreshing perspective because so many people i know friends and they've gone off the conspiracy deep end with coronavirus you know and uh not everyone but i just keep i'm seeing it more and more on my newsfeed and it's popping up more and more in conversations um so yeah that that's like this beard this beard is (laughs) uh, like a it's not trauma response but like big beards are popular in times of geopolitical distress because mm. they're a sign of patriarchy, masculinity. I got this shit under control. Check it out. Beard is large. Um, <laughs> whereas like back in the late nineties, like after the fall of communism, all that you have like boy bands, like squeaky clean androgyny. Oh, interesting. You, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, these looks 
change with different like optimistic or conservative mindsets. Mm. No, and and I'm not oh fuck, you know? I'm I'm not of the structurally negative school. Right? Mm. I'm actually quite optimistic. Nice. I, and it wouldn't come through with most of this. I've had to reckon with more than my fair share of spiritual bypassing, mm. my own included, you know? Right. And that, that bypassing can also take the form of childhood regression, uh, obsession with certain games. Finance has been a game that I've been obsessed with too, you know? Mm. Uh, you, you play a game and you can lose yourself in that game. And I think much of the world has, has done that. Um, and, and the shift to <laughs> show running and creative expression and cultivating energy in this way that I can, I can actually get behind it. That mm. is an aspect of my optimism. Um, that learning how to communicate in these other ways actually um, can move the plot. Keep it in quotes, but move the plot forward. Right. In that, like our collective story that we're telling. It, it is a collective story. And the capacity to tell that story is what determines uh, the messages we give to our communities. Uh, ultimately, mm. the, the votes that the next generation will cast uh, it's it's all storytelling. Mm. You know, social networks are are platforms for stories to be told, and the stories are told in every bit of media that crosses our screen or our feed or whatnot. Like it, it, this this whole world is a vast story, a divine yeah. play. You know, so yeah, I love that. Yeah, the 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 stories we tell become very serious, mm. um, and and this old story that we are independent of the planet that that it is uh, mind over matter you know coquito mm. ergo sum um all of the western uh, scientific materialist narratives that have caused this great divorce from this ocean of consciousness in which we mm. share uh are collapsing and will collapse but first they'll you know that this is like the eisenstein approach like will go to our limits and then they'll collapse. They won't go down easily. Um, and I've, I've definitely felt that compression into matter that has come from being in New York and, and being in different energetic and financial norms. It's been powerful. It's been painful. Mm. Um, I don't know if you detected a difference in my tone or my energy after it. Um, but yeah. I I'm curious as as to what that is. If you if you have any reflections there, um, but I can I can bring it home with optimism. I just like want to understand like yeah, do you, you detect like differences in my vibes and my field right now. Right now, well, uh, yeah, I think you're. It's like you you feel more grounded to me actually, like connected with this collective reality. And I think when you talk about spiritual bypassing, it's like you can meditation can be a kind of escape. You know, people talk about that or it can be a way of uh, making yourself feel better without really doing anything to change the things that would have, you know, that are causing suffering in the first place. And um, it's like, we, we need to connect our spiritual practice, our deeper understanding with our relationships, with the life we're living, like bring those understandings into relationships. That's kind of how I've been thinking about it. That's beautiful. How are you uh, doing that in your own world right now? That's a good question. Um, I really make an effort to hold a positive vision, actually. Like if I see someone 
to see them, to hold the, the vision that maybe they're in suffering now in this moment, but like ultimately that's something that they can work through and overcome and whatever issues they're facing or challenges that they can overcome, that they can grow from, like reframing difficulties in positive terms like that. You know, I think that's really deep. And like seeing things as a play, like you're talking about, I think that that can be really deep too. So. Hmm. That's a, you know, deep breaths in and out. It, Hmm. it is and can be, but it's, you know, it's important to have the positive vibes and the community. I Mm. love fostering community in that way and contributing to people's artistic growth and growth of expression. Yeah. Um, To create a place, if only for one night, once a month or more, where people feel safe enough to let their guards down and to grow. Nice. Yeah, let down some of the defenses and connect and express yourself. Yeah, because it's it's really only in that space of trust that um, people can put down the walls with, with so much contention Mm. uh, you know so so much harsh energy it's it's in that place of safety and i've I've grown and and learned a lot through it you know i've I've learned the places where i thought i was integrated enough to hold that space but i actually wasn't Mm. you know these are not spaces with um instruction manuals because that level that style of leadership has all but um been usurped by established groups and governments or religions or um, companies, but it's, it's the people who can hold those spaces that end up creating something that's new. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think creativity is, is key here. And I think people are, I think we're naturally creative and I think that's when often we feel most alive, like we were created and we're creating and we're contributing to this world. And I think shifting like our systems so that like that's valued more than consumerism. Like I don't think we're naturally these mindless consuming machines that just want to eat everything. I think we're naturally creative. We're naturally connected. We're naturally loving. And that's what I want to help facilitate, help get us get back in touch with. So let's, um, let's close this off with some spoken word or some freestyle. Yeah, do, um, do you have any topics in mind? Um, whew, I'm just thinking about all the stuff we've been talking about now. <laughs> But yeah, if you if you have anything on coronavirus, that could be relevant. <laughs> Let's see. Um, do you have any way to put a backbeat on this, or should I find one? Here? Oh, um, yeah. If you can find one, that would be great. I don't have anything like ready to go. No problem. Let me Let's figure see. this out. Okay. Okay. Stuck inside, feel like you got something to hide, open wide. For the sky is so bright, and you want to fly that or birds in flight. You can do this stuff, whether it's a flight or something within your mind. Look inside, not your third eye blind, open fence. Open to the sky above, open to your heart in love. Push comes to shove, yeah. I've got to turn down the beat and let it sit. Because if we're going to hit this stuff, we yeah. never need to quit. Keep dreaming, understand yourself. 
please be this step. Don't hand your health, but open hand and open heart too, because the whole community needs to come in view for this interview, not an interlude. Sounds good, but if you gotta get it in the mood, if the story that you tell is depression, then you will be faced with the next obsession with a hole in your heart to fill with the product. If you want to understand this stuff, you've got to modify your mind and open to your heart, open to the love that it starts to start. Otherwise, we'll all be spread apart and then divide and conquer is the art of war. Sun Tzu mm. and the tigers in you. For this interview, you've got to interlude and intercede. Before we secede, you've got to fill that need or the secession will be a new confederacy bringing us together. No, part is what we see, what we need. If you understand, that's the life you need. So come on into the flow now. We got a little bit to go now. We've got a lot of work to do now. So yes. if you want to bring it in view now, you have to see the unity that comes together so we can be free. But it's not a cliche, not a way to stay. In the USA, we got to be more than what we bargained for. Yeah. got to be more than what we bargained for. Not a joint stock company. No new Amsterdam in the university. No 1% open wide, a third generation, a devil's bride. For everything will be open to you if you but serve me, he said in view, but not. The love of money is the root of all evil. Don't make that honey from the corrupted hive. Nice. It's open wide. Let your heart decide. But then actually, don't dissociate. You've got to create. Vote with your heart and let that be stayed. Mm. But not the social media. Understand you're being fed to the feed, yeah? <laughs> it's, it's a little bit tough, but you've got the stuff. Keep educating yourself. Find community. Mm. And then you can come to a greater unity. An informed collection for the government is just uh, what you don't represent. It's just a collection of the weakness you've learned so that you don't take responsibility for everything that you've earned. Hmm. It's, it's true. Um, you know, I'm gorgeous. just, I'm just uh, all this stuff is playing though, you know? Yeah, that was awesome, man. Thank you. Um, and and it's, it's deliberately, I could adapt a rap tone, but I generally prefer to just be spoken Shakespearean Mm. And when I really get into the flow, it can take, you know, 10, 15 minutes to warm up or 50 people, you know, mm. in a very positive vibe looking at me really heats me up quick. Once I'm there, it can go to really unexpected places. Mm. And, and, and that's a fun adventure. Yeah. We're, all, we're all looking for these adventures internally or externally. And it's having the adventures that actually gives us the electricity to build something new. Totally. Yeah. It's like the hero's journey. Yeah. I take that step. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a jump into the void every time. So mm. it's, you know, I'll leave people with like, there's been a lot of darkness here. You yeah. have to create your own story. Nice. You have to create something new and you're responsible for that. You're responsible for that. Like every moment, you know, the most beautiful thing is improvisation because you can always, you know, no matter how dark it is, no matter how many of your recursive or aggressive patterns you've jumped into, new day, new spark, light it in yourself, light it in others. Yes. And 
and you you build something new. That's that's forgiveness. That's grace. Mm. That's I love the that capacity to create. So it sounds like something light and flippant. You know, it's it's like oh, so you're a white freestyler. You're you're what you left finance and you're doing this. Actually, it's it's just a blank canvas. Mm. I'm I'm willing to take it wherever it needs to go. Um, however it needs to express itself. And it probably won't look like what I'm expecting it to when all is said and done. But we have to follow the joy or become stagnant, like ossified things rather than like living, living growths. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Wherever you are, you can find that spark of creativity, even just for a few moments, like let it out. Yeah. So, and and that's, that's what you're, you know, you're tapping into different veins and different materials here with this podcast. And I, you know, I yeah. salute you for that. Yeah. Adventures in conversation. It's been a, such a rich, rewarding journey because you get to drop in with someone for an hour or hour and we're going like an hour and a half now. It's amazing. So well, really we appreciate got your time. time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like a connection develops when you give it that time and that attention, you know, it's, it's different than a five minute, you know, text message conversation or something. It feels good. We can we can both do half of a namaste because I can feel your practice right. too. Wait, closer. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yep. Love you, Julian. And thank, thank you so you. much. That was sweet, man. Um, any website you want to recommend or, or give a shout out to? Ooh, or, I mean, like, do you have a personal website or anything like that? Or let's see. Um, you know, you can you can check out Creative Cauldron. A website will be coming up soon. C r e a t i v e c a u l d r o n. It'd be a dream to set one up at the Star House. Oh, nice! Um, I I definitely have wanted to do that for a while. Been doing it in Manhattan. It's been going great. Um, yeah, we'll have to have you come out to Boulder once this quarantine lifts. I would love that. Um, so let's. Let's, uh, you, you'll, you'll be in my heart. I'm sorry that I can't be there in person to record, but um, much love to you, Julian. Much Here love. And I hope to see you in person soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much for listening. If you have found this podcast valuable, please consider supporting it. Visit patreon.com backslash a state of mind to send us a donation. Every dollar really counts. You can share about it on your social media accounts, share it with friends. Uh, Feel free to send me emails, messages about it, thoughts, concerns, questions. To learn more about my work as a therapist, meditation teacher, and coach, visit julianocean.us. And we have more information about the podcast and about each episode at astateofmindplay.com. I'll see you here next time. We can unite, but first, before we unify, we must do it with ourselves. Everything within us now is not something else. You can get a little bit, but first you must go deep within the darkness if you must find the flow. But you must find the flow, for within you must go, and within you must know, and the dark you must grow, and you must understand before the spark will ignite. When the bark is the bite, what's the source of the light? renaissance, renaissance, rebirth. If you understand your worth, then you give that new earth. Not talking to Deepak Chopra or an Eckhart Tolle. If you want to understand, the bell tolls for thee, hombre. So come on, (laughs) let it wide, let it begin. Open wide and take 
grip, let it go for a spin. Not a spin bottle on this wheel of fortune too, but the tarot card is shuffled up and a whole new deck's in view. So the new deal, a green new deal or a repeal, what's the big reveal when you open wide? What's my spiel?